You know, uh, it, it's really neat to see children grow up into young adults, and uh, you know they're going to shape the world that they live in. And, and that's what's really exciting, is that all of us are world shapers. And some of us shape it better than others because we're intentional. And some haven't tried to shape it because they're fearful. And I want to just encourage you to just determine that you're going to be a world shaper. That you're going you're gonna to do something to affect those around you and generations to come. So as we think about this subject of generations, I want you to think about this thought. Someone prayed you into today. Someone prayed you into today. You know, we all exist and thrive because of someone else in some way. Whether it was your mother who raised you, whether it was a brother who nurtured you, a sister, an uncle, an aunt, but somehow you were prayed into today. And the question is, who are you praying into tomorrow? Because it's one thing to, to be the recipient of the benefit of someone else's life and prayer, but whose life are you shaping for tomorrow? And we have to take that as a personal responsibility. We have to realize this is what we were made to do, and this is what we were made for. The other thing we need to understand is you can store up favor for future generations. You know, when you read about Job, a lot of people think Job's a story about a guy who really had a bad day, many of them. But it's, that's such a shallow view of it. You know, Job, it says he prayed and offered sacrifice for his children in case they sinned. That was part of his life. And he was, going, he was doing all the right things in his life, and yet he was afflicted by the enemy and went through seven days of sitting in darkness and really challenges and difficulties. That's why I always laugh when people say, I feel like Job. I said, well, you, you're not even close to Job, right? But when you get to chapter 42 of Job, it says that Job said, I heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee, and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. See, Job didn't really understand God in chapter 1. He was the most righteous man in the land of the east, but east was where Sodom and Gomorrah was. He was a contemporary of Abraham. He was the most righteous man on earth. Take you a little different twist on it, doesn't it? Well, I could preach on Job, but I'm not going to today. Here's another thing. Don't drop the ball. Your children depend on you. They're counting on you. You know, a lot of times we kind of separate our life from our children's life or our grandchildren's life, and we think there's no connectivity there, but there is great connectivity there. Whether it's spoken out by them or not, that you do affect them. And when you drop the ball, it gives them an excuse to drop the ball. When you fail, it gives them an excuse to fail. I can't tell you how many children I've talked to who have said, you know, I come from a long line of divorced parents. And I said, so what are you telling me? Well, I'm not sure that my marriage will work either. And I said, well, there's nothing further from the truth than that. You can break that cycle. Amen? And then take a stand for your family. You know, there's, uh, we're, we're living in this day of great uncertainty and and unpredictability where chaos is ruling and reigning in so many different parts of the world and, and parts of 
government and school and everything else, but it's incumbent upon you to take a stand. There was a time when you really could fall back into a default position of saying, well, I think somebody will do something. The Calvary is not coming. You have to do something. You have to take a stand. You have to lift up your voice. So as I thought about it, I thought, what are the things that we need? What are three things I could really communicate to you today that would help you be that person that can help a future generation, can pray someone into tomorrow, who can store up favor, who can take a stand, all of these things. And the first one is this, understand the wisdom of God. You know, in the book of Proverbs, chapter two, verses six and seven, the word of God says this, for the Lord gives wisdom. Now, I want you just to sit on that for a moment. Wisdom is something that's given of God. We talk about people being wise, and there is a wisdom of this world, but there's also a wisdom of heaven. And the wisdom of heaven so surpasses the wisdom of earth, but if you can couple them both together, look what you have. It says the Lord gives wisdom. Do you know that God will give you wisdom if you ask? And we're going to look at that scripture in James in just a minute. But if you lack wisdom, God will give that to you. If you look at your life and say, wow, I just wish I was a really wise person, God says, I like that prayer. I'm going to answer that prayer. For the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Those, come, those three words fall together often in Scripture. And the reason they do is because all three are necessary. Knowledge is simply the accumulation of information. All of us can do that. We can gather information. That's knowledge. But understanding is a separation and the arrangement of that knowledge in such a way that it makes sense. And wisdom is applying God's truth to your understanding. The other reason they appear three times is because each one of those are reflective of a member of the Trinity of God. If you stop and think about it, if you look at the word knowledge, what is knowledge? Well, Jesus said, I came to bring you the knowledge of the Father. Understanding is the Holy Spirit, and wisdom is the Father. And when you begin to see these things work together and you begin to read Proverbs, you say, well, there they are again. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. There's a reason for it. And it says, he lays up sound wisdom for the righteous, and he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Now, look what, I love this. He lays up sound wisdom. Have you ever set something aside? said, I'm going to store that up. I'm going to save that for a future time. God says, you know what I'm doing? I'm stacking the shelves in your favor for wisdom. Would you ask me, and when you ask me, I'm going to give you wisdom. See, right now, you could be sitting here talking to God in your spirit, man, and asking for wisdom, and God would be granting you wisdom as I speak. It's not like you have to get home and find some quiet place. God, I need wisdom. No, you can get wisdom right now. This moment, this second, just ask God. That's what I love about God. He's not like this, you know, put it on hold until I get back to you kind of God. He's instantly speaking to your spirit man. And I'm sure right now some of you just crying out, I need, I need wisdom. And it might be because you've done some dumb things in your life. Hey, join the human race. Amen? Amen? But that doesn't mean we have to keep doing dumb things. Or at least it doesn't mean we don't have to do as many. Yeah. See, there's the key. 
Now, if we go to James chapter 1 and verse 5, listen to what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, now I don't know about you, but I'd like to raise my hand and say, God, I'd like to get in this line. I lack some wisdom. Amen? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. You see how simple it is? Who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. So you see what it says here. It's not saying that, that you have to really shout loud, pray hard, sweat, perspire, whatever you want to do in prayer in order to get wisdom. No, he says simply ask. Do you know that when you ask for something and you believe you have it, that's exercising faith? When you ask for something and not sure you've got it, that's exercising doubt. What does God say? You see, the, the word of God says when you ask, God gives wisdom. Okay, God, I'm holding you to your word. Your word says, if I lack wisdom, let me ask, and you give freely to all, and you give it liberally. I'm just going to give you a little wisdom, says God. No, he doesn't say that. He said, I'm going to give you a great deal of wisdom. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. But what's interesting is it's broken up in sections by the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So when you read it, you'll notice there's like a little italicized foreign word above certain paragraphs. Those are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So it literally is the ABCs of the Word of God, and here's why. Because every single verse in that chapter is a reference to the Word of God. Let me give you an example here. Psalm uh, 119, 97 through 100. Oh, how I love your law. So there's a reference to the word of God, the law. It is my meditation all day. You, through your commandments, there's another reference, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies, another reference, are my meditation, and I understand more than the ancients because of your precepts, another reference. Now, let me go back and just take that apart for you. Look what it says. God... I love your law. In fact, what I do is I meditate on it all day long. Do you know if you just memorize a couple of scriptures, you can literally meditate on the word of God all through the day? Some people say, well, I really can't memorize anymore. Yes, you can. You just don't want to, right? Let's just be honest. I remember there was a lady that came and she wanted to get baptized and she was uh, well into her late 80s. And uh, so I baptized her, and when I got done, she said, you know, that's the first time I've been in a body of water since I was 14. And I said, what? First time you've had a bath? She said, a body of water of any kind. I almost drowned when I was 14. And I've been so fearful, I've only taken showers my whole life. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me that before I baptized you? And she said, well, I thought if God could keep me out of hell, he surely, surely could get me through the waters of baptism. And then she said, you know what else I've been doing? You told me to memorize scripture. And I said, and I took you up, and I, and I thought I could do it. You, I knew I couldn't do it, but, I, but I, cha- I took the challenge. You said, try to memorize one scripture a month for the rest of your life. And she said, I started, and the first one became pretty easy. And then I got to where I could do one a week, and she was, now I'm doing one scripture memorization every week, and I review it. And she was late into her 80s. You see, why? Because the word of God, thy word have I hid in my heart, the Bible says, that I might not sin against you. And here he says, oh, how I love your law. In fact, it's my daily meditation. 
I can think about the word of God. And what'll happen is when you memorize scripture, God will take the things you've memorized and he will bring them to the forefront when you need them in your life experience. Now look what it says, here's the benefit. You have made me wiser than my enemies. Have you ever been fooled by someone? You ever been lied to? You ever, ever been tricked by someone? Well, the Bible says you can be wiser than your enemies by the word of God. How interesting is that? You know who the real enemy is? The ultimate enemy we have? It's Satan, isn't it? He came to Jesus in Matthew chapter four, and he began to quote scripture. He said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And he was literally quoting from scripture, but guess what he was doing? He was misquoting it. If you go back and compare what Satan said to what was written, it's different. So Satan knows scripture, but what he does is he twists it and turns it to get the message off a little bit. And that's why it's important for you to know the word of God. What does it really say? You've made me wiser than all my enemies, and you've given me more understanding than my teachers. You see, so the psalmist here, he's writing, and he says, you know, I've been taught the word of God by others. I've been taught knowledge in school and different places, but I have more understanding than my teachers only because I have the insight of the word of God. See, too often we, we, make, we silo them. We've got over here the word of God, and over here we've got all this other knowledge. And God says, no, there is only this knowledge of God, and underneath it falls everything else, whether truth or lie. And so when you operate by kingdom understanding, knowledge, and wisdom, you can evaluate every situation from a business deal to a decision about who you marry to school or anything else by the word of God because it's gonna be your guide. You see, everything else is gonna fail. The, the, the Bible says that the flowers, they fade in their color. The grass, it withers in the hot sun. We know about that. But the word of God abides forever. So when you operate in the word of God, you're operating in something that's eternal and lasts forever. And then he says, and you've given me more understanding than the ancients. In other words, you look back on the people that you've admired and say, look at all the people that have taught me and led me, and, and some of them were not even Christians, but yet, guess what? They taught you a lot, and, they, and they're to be thanked for what they did. But he says, you know what? When, the, when I apply the word of God, I know more than all of them because I'm operating in supernatural, spiritual kingdom information. If you would start relying on it, it would be amazing to you. A good friend of mine came to me. They, they, they put a, a new airport in Denver many years ago. And uh, they had this ultimate baggage um, unloading machine. It was, they were gonna eliminate all the human factor. And the machine was going to grab the bags, take them off, put them in. It was just, it would cost millions and millions of dollars. The only problem with it, it didn't work. <laughs> Other than that, it was really a cool system. In fact, what it did was it grabbed the bags, and somehow they never could get it quite right, but it would rip bags open in the process. Right? You're thinking about what you packed, right? And you're thinking, oh, no, I don't want them to see that. But anyway, it would rip these bags open. And so it was a PR nightmare, and they hired a very expensive PR firm to come in there and, and to try to solve the problem and tell people that we've got it fixed, we're gonna work on it, everything is good, but, and they failed too. It became the biggest joke of Denver. And I had a guy in my church named Denny, 
And Denny came to me and he said, I want to get, try to get the contract to do the PR for Denver International Airport. And I said, well, Denny, aren't you like a one-man guy? Yeah, I'm just, just me. He said, I want you to help me to understand how I can take the word of God and get that contract. No small feat there. I said, well, Denny, the only thing I really know that can really help you and, and help you the most in business is the book of Proverbs. And if I were you, I would start reading the book of Proverbs, and I would find those principles that apply to that situation, and then see if you can get the contract. Well, and I, but I said, before he left, I said, Denny, tell me, why do you want the contract? He said, well, you know, I've gone on a few mission trips with you, and uh, down in El Salvador when you've done crusades, and I, I, I really just feel like God wants me to go uh, to, uh, I think it was it was actually Peru or Paraguay. I can't remember which it was. And I want to be a missionary. I just want to be fully funded so I don't have to ask for anybody's money. I can just go down there and do mission work the rest of my life. Ah, noble reason to do it, right? Anyway, long story short, uh, Denny got the contract. Denny solved the problem. And somewhere in South America, Denny is living on a dirt floor, I'm sure, ministering to people. The reason I, I want you to know that story is because the wisdom didn't come from Denny. It didn't come from me. It came from God. And if you really want to understand how God operates in the spiritual kingdom in business, you read the book of Proverbs. It's amazing. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. It covers every area, and you can read one chapter corresponding with the day of the month, and you can read it every month of your life. And it's only going to take you about 10 minutes a day. The second thing, a part of wisdom, not only understand the greatness of God and the wisdom of God, but also understand that you need to exercise generosity every day. Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to get wealth. This is the first principle of generosity. Where did it come from? Now, some of you are great business people. Some of you have done very well in your life. But let me ask you the question. Who ultimately holds the handle on your wealth? Well, it's the one that can take it away. It's the one that can take the breath from your lung in a moment. He's the one that's responsible ultimately. And he gives you ability because he created you in his image. He gave you gifts and talents and all these things so that you could operate that way. Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. It is more blessed to give than receive. That's a great truth, isn't it? More blessed to give. Do you realize you get more out of something when you release it than when somebody receives it? You think it operates the other way, but it doesn't. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this world that they be not conceited, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Command they that do good, that they be rich in good works, generous, willing to share, and laying up in store from themselves a good foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of eternal life. Do you see the motivation here is that I need to walk humbly before it, but the motivation is that I want to be able to not only help those around me, but I want to lay a good foundation for eternity. Isn't it interesting that the way I operate on planet Earth has every bearing on the way I, I'm going to thrive or not thrive in heaven? Well, I thought we were just all going to get there and be plump little angels playing harps. Only in Hollywood. In the Bible, you don't want to go down. That's a, being an angel is a step downward. The Bible says we're going to judge the angels. How about that? 
All right, third trait, great truth, is surround yourself with visionaries. I can't tell you how important this is. Have you ever, you ever been around some people that don't have a clue where to go? Sure you have. It might be you. <laughs> right? You go, I don't know what to do with myself. Well, then you need to, you need to get some other kind of people. You know, it's kind of like that old saying, it's hard to, to soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys. I mean, hey, I'm not criticizing turkeys. I think they're great for Thanksgiving. But let me ask you something. Are you, do you surround yourself with people that can cast a vision, that can look into the future, that can see things that are greater than the things that you're seeing? The Bible says in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall see dreams, and your young men shall see visions. You see, what it's saying here is that one of the things that I'm doing in my eternal kingdom is I am creating this idea of prophetically seeing things in such a way that there's dreams and visions that are coming forth. I really believe, if you study back the great scientists of the last 300 years, and I'm not talking about, we're gonna eliminate Fauci. All right, I'm just talking, I'm just talking about great scientists here. You know, you'd be surprised that the bulk of them were Christians, that the bulk of them said they found the answer through the wisdom of God. I don't care who you're talking about. I mean, you just go back and look at them, the list. It's amazing. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says this, for I know the plans that I have for you. Do you know that God has a plan for everybody in this room? You may not be aware of it, may not be you know, tuned into it, but he says, says the Lord, plans for peace and not for evil. So God has good intentions on your hand. God has good plans for you, and they're peace, not for evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Imagine that. God says, I have peace for you, and I want to give you a future, and I want to give you hope. It doesn't matter how bad the world is. You know, the, the world is, like we said, we've been through a, a dark period here, but imagine if you were living in 1380 in Italy and the plague had come through your land. It's been worse, people, and people got through it. Amen? All right? Imagine if you're living the Great Depression. Oh, I thought we were. No, we're not yet. But you see, what I'm trying to say is God is always there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your, your path straight. I love Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, write the vision. You got a vision, God give you something, write it down. Make it plain on tablets that he who reads it may run. In other words, write something that inspires others. Have a vision that inspires others. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, Scripture says, but it speaks of the end and it does not lie. You see, you want the kind of vision that jumps from the page and says, that's it. That's it. And it says, it goes on to say, if it delays, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You know, one of the guys that uh, started the church with us, he's since moved, but uh, he was out jogging one day. And he looked down and he saw a tin can. Somebody just thrown it by the side of the road and he picked it up and it was hot to his hand. And he said, I wonder if anyone's ever thought about putting some kind of an insulated liner over this and selling them that way. He actually created that patent and made millions of dollars from it. He was at the time unemployed. You see, even picking up an old trash can, an old tin can and putting it in the trash can be a blessing. 
Let me ask you something. What tin cans have you run by lately? What opportunities have you let slide? Well, what if you just turned everything over to God and said, God, inspire wisdom in me, inspire knowledge in me, inspire understanding in me? I want to give you three life applications. Here's the first one. Stay in community. There's something very valuable. My good friend over here, Doug, said, you know, the greatest business deals I've had have not come because I've looked for them, but they came out of the community of faith. Right? People just said, because you, you want to do business with people you know and you like and you trust. Stay in the community of faith. Number two, bless your family every day. Find a way just to say a prayer over your family every day. Stay close. And then third, trust in the Lord. You can't beat this one. I'm just going to trust God today. Up and down, round and around, it doesn't matter. I'm going to trust Almighty God. Amen? Amen.